Well, I'm going to jump to what for me is one of my favorite scriptures uh, in the area of missions. Uh, and it's from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there are similar stories in the other Gospels as well. Uh, but this is the story that Luke records of Jesus' encounter with the ten lepers. And I'm going to read it. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee as he was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, <laughs> were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this one foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Okay. So we just have a little bit of uh, interaction uh, at this point. Let me just ask this question and feel free to just chime in. You know, where... Where does healing occur in this story? Anyone want to take a shot? Even kids, you're welcome to chime in. Where does healing occur in this story? Any thoughts? Not used to questions being asked. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay, so there's one place where healing happens. Where else does healing happen? In in the heart of the person? Where else does healing occur? I'm sorry? As they left Jesus, right? As they were on the road, right? So there's lots of different things going on. We're going to dig into the story a little bit uh, and see all the different aspects, all the different ways, and ultimately the most beautiful aspect of this healing story, which we see at the end. It's helpful to do a little bit of a, a review on leprosy. Uh, this is something that occurs so often in scriptures. It's been talked about a lot, I'm sure, but leprosy is something that actually still exists in the world today. Uh, this is a picture from Africa. My family, uh, uh, we would encounter uh, lepers often, sometimes in the village, but more often uh, in town because uh, lepers would be there begging. They were mostly, uh, they would end up being beggars because of their physical handicaps. They weren't able to work. And so they ended up in places that were heavily trafficked so they could, they could beg, uh, receive some help so they could receive some food. Uh, what we experience today in the world uh, as leprosy, actually the medical name for it is Hansen's disease. Uh, it's a disease uh, that actually ends up affecting the nervous system. Uh, so you don't feel pain, right? You know, if you can imagine what would happen if you're holding that hot kettle and you didn't feel that it was hot and so you just kept holding it, right? You would just burn yourself to such a point. And eventually over time, all of those wounds that you're continuing to re-injure yourself uh, lead to losing toes, losing fingers. Um, and it's very 
debilitating even in the present day. But scripturally, if you look in the time of Christ and the time before, it was an even more debilitating disease, right? Because not only was it a physical disease, um, but it also affected the entirety of someone's life, right? If you go back in the book of Leviticus specifically, you see there's all the rules and regulations that are applied to somebody uh, who had leprosy. Now, the intent of these rules uh, were for the health of the community. Uh, This was infectious. Uh, It was a group of infectious skin diseases. Uh, And so as a protection for the community, there were rules that were put into place. Yet as an effect of those rules, it left, left people very isolated right? Um, we've, we've all, I'm sure, have ended up at some point in the last several years, maybe in a quarantine, uh, where you've been exposed to something and you had to stay away from work or stay away from family, maybe even miss a family gathering. Uh, that has been very difficult for us, right? When there's been some kind of event that we weren't able to be at, for some people is missing a funeral or a wedding. Um, But sadly, for the lepers in that time period, um, that became their life. Uh, They lived in isolation, not only isolated, but the shame associated with that. In Leviticus 13, there's even rules applied to it. Uh, And it says in Leviticus 13, 45, that anyone with such a defiling disease, referring to leprosy, they must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, They must cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean, as a way to protect people that were around them. Uh, And it was the priests themselves who were the ones that were able to tell someone, to kind of do a basic assessment to figure out if someone had just an ordinary rash or maybe that person had a leprous disease. Uh, And so the priest was the one that would help keep the community safe from health Uh, But unfortunately, that also meant for those who were unclean, those who were sick, uh, their lives had a lot of isolation. They had a lot of distance. Uh, They had a physical malady, uh, but also uh, they were isolated uh, from from the community uh, that they were a part of. Uh, Now, leprosy is still in Africa. Uh, but if we look about look broader than just leprosy, uh, we can think about the fact that uh, there are people in our world who are sick that aren't receiving care, and there are people in our world that are distant from care, community, and distant from the Lord. And we see that in this story as well, that these people were far off from Jesus. Uh, I shared this earlier, so we won't. I'll just reference it. This idea of there being medically underserved people in the world, uh, that there being uh, billions of people in the world who haven't had the message of Christ communicated to them. They haven't had somebody witness the love of Christ to them. Uh, Those to me, I think of when I read this story, those are the lepers in our world. Uh, Those are the people that are far away, who are crying out for some help, uh, but are far away from from receiving that help uh, that they need. Now, we could probably think of other lepers, uh, other people like that in our world, uh, that need care. Uh, I think about them a lot in my time in Africa, uh, seeing people that needed the care, uh, but were unable to receive it one way or the other. So one story really impacted me uh, when I was on the mission field, and I'll share this story. Uh, this little girl named Keflin, 
And to back up into the story, uh, when I served in Tanzania, it was a rural mission work. I had a land cruiser. I drove to distant villages, did first church planting, and then we were doing leadership training and encouragement. Uh, so some days were really long days on rough roads. Uh, but always in that context, one of the most important things that you do there is you eat food with people, right? You have fellowship. They provide you with food to eat. So one day I had several different places to go, but after one uh, teaching session uh, with some church leaders, uh, there was a meal prepared for all of us to sit and eat together. And uh, the way you eat there, uh, you know, it's a common bowl. You know, they have something all together and you use your right hand, you reach in, you dig out uh, this food, it's ugali and Tanzanian, you dip it in a sauce and you eat it. And it's something really nice and meaningful for everyone to be eating together. Well, while we're eating, we are interrupted uh, by somebody that was in the church uh, where we were meeting and they came and said, okay, so there's, you know, the lady in the church, uh, there's a lady, she has a sick child. Um, before you all leave, uh, can you pray for this child? We'd like for you to see her. And so, of course, we agreed. And so they went and found her, and she brought the child to us, uh, this little girl, Kathleen, and they, they asked for advice. And they said, okay, so she's been all night. She's been throwing up. She has a little bit of diarrhea. Uh, you know, we don't know what we should do for this child. Now, if you don't know already, I am not a health practitioner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm a father. I've had, you know, four children. We have four children together. Um, my wife is now a nurse, but I'm not a health practitioner. We did, in our missionary training, we all got this book called Where There Is No Doctor. It's this green book. You know, I kept it in my car uh, under the seat at all times, and it would help you know how to deal with basic issues uh, that you might see when you're far away from a medical facility. Uh, so, so for me, I'm out of my depths, uh, but on the mission field, you feel like you're always out of your depths. And so you're just going to try and try to figure out what you can do. And so hearing the story, hearing the situation, I thought back to my own family and I thought, if I took my kids to the doctor every time they were kind of throwing up a little bit, um, man, it just felt like with my family, we were just passing one thing on to each other all the time. And so I thought, you know, I think it's pro I would... I would think it'd probably be okay. Usually we wait a couple days and see, maybe it's just something you ate, a little stomach bug you can get through, you know, about a day. I don't know if I would say anything yet, but, but then I also, I was communicating this and I shared that, you know, for, for my kids, you know, they're, they're healthy. My kids, we would go to, we go actually to Nairobi, Kenya to get their immunizations. Um, so we knew that all their immunizations were up to date. My kids, um, were well nourished. Uh, they didn't. Uh, they had all the food that they needed. Uh, they were generally healthy. My kids slept under mosquito nets, uh, and so and even at times when they did get malaria, they responded to the treatment very well. Uh, and so I didn't feel, for my kids, maybe uh, that I would have needed to to seek medical care for that problem. But my kids have a lot of advantages. They're generally healthy, and I didn't know the same for this child. And so sharing that with the other church leaders, this one old man, his name is Matayo Magashe. He took the child and he kind of reached, peeled the lip down of this child, you know, and, and the lip, the bottom of the lip was just white. And he said in his language, which is Kisakuma, it's a, it's a tribal language there. He said, oh, 
Meninga yishilaga. Meninga yashilaga. You know, which means the blood is finished. The blood's all gone, uh, which is a euphemism for anemia. He said by looking at that, and this guy is just a farming guy, but he'd seen or learned somewhere that if you look and you see that the lip is really pale, then that might be a sign of anemia. Uh, so he said, yeah, you know, her, her, her blood is all finished, which happens there often because of sometimes sickle cell anemia, uh, but more often malaria or malnutrition can lead to that kind of situation. So decided, well, the next place I'm going to, I'm actually going to pass by a hospital. It's about 45 minutes down the road, uh, but we'll pass by a small hospital and I'll take the child there. Uh, so the grandmother and the child get in the car with me. So we head to the hospital, uh, this one place called Misasi District Hospital. Uh, we get there and there's about 100 people waiting in line. Um, waiting in line. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is going to blow up my whole day. I'm not going to be able to get home uh, if I wait in this whole line and she's not well. Uh, thankfully, I knew the doctor, a Tanzanian doctor who was working there, was able to kind of use my relationship to cut in line and ask if he could see this child and not have this child wait in line. Well, even in that time, uh, this child, uh, you can just tell, was very weak, uh, was not doing well. Um, even her breathing was a bit labored. Um, saw the doctor and the doctor, uh, you know, wrote her up that she needed to go to the lab and have her, her blood checked, uh, her blood levels, her iron levels checked. While waiting for the lab, the doctor came back and said, you know what, Kevin, don't wait for the lab. You know, she has all the signs of anemia and I'm scared for her that if she waits any longer, um, this might be really bad and we don't have blood here anyways. So why don't I write a letter for you and take her another 45 minutes down the road to this bigger hospital where they have electricity, where they have a fridge that, that can have some blood present to be able to do a blood transfusion. Uh, so we did. And then at this point, the situation is getting worse. Um, and again, I'm no health practitioner, but I've been around some family members in their last moments of life. And there's this kind of rattle that you sometimes hear when someone is really labored and they're breathing. And I can hear her in the car. This breathing is getting more and more difficult. And I'm driving on these dirt roads in my Land Cruiser as fast as my Land Cruiser can go. You know, we're, we're racing down the road. I'm going 80, 90 miles per hour, just trying to get her there. Uh, I know I'm kind of destroying a lot of my car, you know, but um, trying to get her there. Get her there, relieved that we make it. And then the worst or most difficult part of the story happens. Uh, we get her there and they said, okay, well, she needs blood. Um, have, have you given blood recently? They asked me and coincidentally, I'd given blood a week earlier for a friend of mine who was in need. And then they, they looked at the grandmother. This is the child's grandmother. They looked at her and they said, well, you're too old to give blood. And he gave blood last week. Well, you know, we need, we need a donor. We need someone to give blood. It's like, um, she needs blood. You know, don't you have blood here? It's like, well, we, you know, we can't give her blood unless we have someone give blood for her. Um, and I insisted and I begged and I pleaded and they were not going to give this child any blood. Um, sadly, um, and the outcome, uh, was going to be very bad. So I called, um, the person at the church where we had just been, his name is Ayubu. 
which is the Swahili word for Job, translated. And I called them and I said, hey, you've got to get somebody, you know, get on a bike, do something, get somebody here because, because this child needs blood. And he said, oh, we're on the way. It's like, what do you mean you're on the way? Oh yeah, somebody from the hospital uh, saw you there and knew us. So he called us and told us what was going on with you guys. And we knew it was bad. So we gathered six people on our bicycles and we're coming. We're on the way. I was like, hold on. You know, so I went back to the hospital. And I said, these guys are coming. You can have all of their blood. I promise you. Take, take all you want. Uh, and, and so they relented. Um, they started the child on a blood transfusion. I went on my day. I went by later, checked on her, and she was starting to improve. Um, got home that night, uh, a little bit after dark. And I'm sure you all have been in situations like this in your life when there's something that's happened and it makes you really want to get home to your kids. Uh, makes you really want to see that they're well. Makes you really want to see that they're not sick and that they're healthy and doing well. And I was thankful to get home and to see them and to be mindful of just how blessed we are. Um, and that some things like that, that we can easily take for granted, um, aren't always available to people. Uh, this, this child, uh, she, she was one of 10 children I learned being cared for, uh, by her grandmother. Uh, and so the father or the, her husband, uh, what he did for work was he went out to far off places. He cut trees and forests. He made charcoal by burning, uh, the branches in the ground. And then he would transport them to town and he would make a, a good day. He can make two or $3, uh, from all of that work. Uh, and so if you take two or $3 and try to feed 10 people uh, with that, well, it's incredibly difficult. Um, we are so very blessed. Yet looking out at the world, we do see that for so many people, they lack some of these things that we take for granted uh, in our life. So we've talked about the healing in the story uh, and you all got the answer right. There's so many different places where healing occurs in the story and the gospel of Luke. What's really interesting in this story is that there's three different words in the Greek that are used. Uh, and I'm no Greek expert. I know just what I studied back 20 something years ago for a year in college. Uh, but the three different words are used in the story are uh, illustrative of different aspects of healing. Uh, the first word that's, that's used is the word iathe. Iathe in Greek is usually referring to a physical ailment. One time in Isaiah 61, there's a reference that seems more like, uh, like a mental uh, healing uh, that might be present. Uh, but iathe is just kind of a vague word referencing healing. Um, but there's another word uh, that we often translate in the story as cleansing, and that's uh, uh, which we get the word catharsis from this word uh, or catheter uh, from the same Greek root word. Uh, that's present when uh, the person on the road noticed that he had been cleansed. And finally, the last word that we see uh, in the story is the word sosokin. Um, and that's the word that's most interesting in the story uh, because it's the word that can be translated saved or can be translated healed. It's entirely dependent on the context. 
uh, in the gospel, when it talks about somebody who's received a physical healing, it says this person was healed. When it talks about someone who's coming to faith in Jesus Christ and their sins are forgiven, it, said that, it says that they've been saved. Uh, but there was just one word for that. And so you have one word. And so when people are translating scripture, uh, they have to choose. Are we going to say healed? Or are we going to say saved? And this is what we see at the last word in this verse. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. That's what the NIV decided to say. Your faith has made you well. Does anyone have a King James Bible? Or a new King James Bible? You do? Uh, this is, it's Luke 17 and it's verse 19. Yeah, it's, so the, the King James Version translates that as your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Uh, and we can see that that's actually what happens to this one person, right? When he comes back, because not only has he had some physical healing, and not only now can he come back into the community. He doesn't have to be held away like the lepers were held away that he could, he could be a part of his community again. And finally, this one received the greatest healing of all, right? And this is somebody referenced, you know, this is the healing of the heart or the healing when they came back because the leper came back and worshiped Jesus, came back and gave thanks to God. Not the other nine. The other nine received, I would say, a partial healing, right? <laughs> they had healing from their physical complaints. But the one came back. Not only was he in a right body, and not only was he able to be a part of community again, but he came back and worshiped the God who created him. He came back and gave thanks to Christ who had blessed him. For me, that means he's been made whole, that he's been healed. If you go back to this story, one of the things that was most inspiring to me about this story uh, that I experienced, because I this child was in the hospital several days, and I was just checking on the child. I was calling people uh, to see uh, how the child was progressing. Um, about five days later, the child was able to go home uh, after receiving supplements and uh, receiving blood. Uh, the child was strong again and went home. But I learned later that while those guys, they came on their bikes and were there helping, uh, they got there on a Tuesday. Uh, by Thursday or so, the extended family started showing up. And the extended family saw this cousin of theirs um, being taken care of, but they saw six people from the church there um, that had been there the whole time. They got there as quickly as they could and were sacrificing of themselves and of their own resources to care for this child. One of this child's cousins who lived in a different village, um, he was amazed. And he said back to Ayubu, he said, wait a minute, we're her family. We're obligated. We had to come and check on this child. But you all, you're not her family. You're not her blood. 
why did you all come? Why did you all contribute, you know, come to have blood drawn for this child? Um, and he said, that, that's, that's love. He'd heard about this idea, you know, God is love and Jesus loves us, but it connected for him. He said, no, wait a minute. This is actually a community of love. These people love people. And that person decided to say, hey, I, I, I want to be a part of a community like that. And he decided to be baptized as a result. Now, the great thing about that is it wasn't my Land Cruiser, <laughs> though my Land Cruiser sure was a blessing in that story. But it was the sacrifice of people from their own community uh, that had the opportunity to show Christ's compassion and had the ability to share why they were doing that, uh, that led to not only this person receiving healing, but somebody else in the family being saved, becoming whole because of the faithfulness of followers of Christ. So we talked about a few things. We see the physical healing that happened in the story, uh, the lepers being able to be a part of society again, uh, be a part of a Christian community, I would say, as is what this is a model of. And finally, this the spiritual salvation that we see in that story of someone being made whole, of God putting things back the way that he desired for them to be. Uh, it's a biblical idea called shalom, which means peace, but it's more than peace. It means God putting things back the way they ought to be. And interestingly enough, the same person who I ref referenced earlier, Ayub, Ayubu, um, he's working with our health project now in Tanzania, and he's been a part of collaborating with these health teachers, and he's been a key person in planting seven churches uh, through this project um, that are there. So uh, it's such a blessing to see how people use the resources, um, the encouragement, uh, to see great kingdom growth, to see great kingdom blessing. And we have opportunities for that, like I've mentioned in the Bible class time, across Africa. Um, and it's a great blessing. And the final note of this is the response to the blessing, the response to the healing is gratitude. You see in the story, this one person who came back. Now, I don't know if, have you all been watching The Chosen? Um, uh, I love The Chosen series depiction of Jesus. Um, and I imagine, because of that, maybe a little bit, I imagine Jesus not castigating this one. Where are the other nine? You know, whoa, where, where are your buddies at? You know, they should be here too. I just imagine him just having such great delight in the one that came back and offered thanksgiving, worship God, fell at Jesus' feet to thank him for the blessing. And that's the response that the Lord desires from all of us such gratitude and thankfulness for how we've been blessed and we have been blessed. The Lord has welcomed us into his kingdom. He's welcomed us into our family and he's blessed us with the opportunity to share that with others as well. And so for me, I'm thankful. I'm incredibly thankful to be able to share these stories. Uh, I'm incredibly thankful that for me, uh, leaving the mission field, the Lord has provided me with a ministry that can help make sure that the people that I served alongside, loved, cared for, that there's help for them still. Even when I'm not around, uh, there are programs that are helping them to have health, and there's also programs that are helping them to reach their communities. And I'm thankful for churches like you. There are so many things in the world um, that demand our attention, 
Uh, there's so many things, both personally and as a church. And I'm so thankful for you as a church that you remember your missionaries, you remember your mission points, that you dedicate a Sunday uh, to considering how you can bless them. And you consider, you know, it's a generous amount of money uh, to contribute towards missions. But I'm thankful for you that God has given you that heart and given you that commitment. Uh, so I'm going to close with a prayer and then uh, we will pick up after that point. Lord God, we are so thankful. We are thankful for how you care for us, how you bless us, and we are thankful that in this world you give us opportunities to show your love and to communicate your truth. And we pray that you would continue to give us an attitude of thankfulness, of gratitude, uh, that in all things we recognize your blessing, we return thanks to you for it, and that we can be witnesses of how your kingdom is coming and how you are our Lord and that you bring us health, uh, you bring us community, and ultimately you bring us into relationship with the Father because of what you have done for us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.